the first day of the week is always so extraordinarily special in that as set forth in the Word of God, we have the privilege of assembling in His name to offer worship unto Him in the way that we trust is not only, of course, helpful to us, but pleasing in His sight. We're so thankful for the every person that's assembled today. Not only our membership, of course, at Pippin, but also the visitors who've come our way. We want you to know how thankful we are you're here. And we look forward, if at all, you have opportunity to be back with us at your earliest convenience even after today. In fact, we have a bulletin. We invite you to get one. It has our full schedule of services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 10.30 for Bible study and worship, respectively. Sunday afternoon at 5.30 for worship and also 7 p.m. Wednesday for Bible study. You probably have already noticed the title of the lesson this morning. I hope a very current matter, a rather timely topic. School shootings. It is a matter, of course, that rests upon our heart as it seems as if on a very frequent basis our news individuals share with us another tragedy along this line. Another event somewhere in our nation wherein someone has entered one of our schools and proceeded to take the lives of many, both students and teachers alike. It's troubling, it's heartbreaking, and not only that, it's the signs of a convulsing nation. Let's develop some of that this morning, as of course we use the Word of God as our guide. This opening slide is one that merely is an introduction. I think it fair to say that over the last 19 years or so, the number of these school shootings, the frequency with which they've occurred, and the places that they've occurred have been extremely shocking. And in fact, as you'll see in a moment, I chose to begin the numbering at a particular time. It's not to say there weren't any shootings prior to 19 years ago, but it's just that it seems as if the one that happened that year has been the one that has really started the matter in a very dramatic and more frequently occurring basis. It is with that in mind. It's still a bit of an amazing thing to notice that at least compared to other nations around the world, in many cases, there are more of them here than there are other places. I again would offer that as some thought to what's the pathway, the journey along which our nation is choosing to proceed. It is with that in mind. Let's close that slide and start our lesson in earnest with this slide. I suppose if I merely mention the word Columbine, that's all I need to say. It was April the 20th, 1999, 19 years ago, that there was this shooting that occurred in Columbine, Colorado. Twelve students, a teacher, all killed that day. And at least at that time, that was still a rather new thing, at least in terms, and it shocked our nation to think that this could happen. And yet, I might say that since that time, 25 of them have happened. That's on average more than one a year. Now you and I know recently there was another one in Florida, a tragic one, in which so many over the course of all of these have lost their lives to what you and I would regard as so senseless. as what we would regard as a very impression of evil. And yet with all of it, look at some of the additional statements just looking at a tabulation of where these have occurred, and I'm not in any way going to list them, but they occurred sometimes in urban areas and sometimes rural ones. I would call to your attention, in Marshall County, Kentucky, less than two months ago, 
Now think how close Marshall County, Kentucky is to us. That's a very rural area in the south and western part of the state of Kentucky. And yet there was a shooting at the high school there. On other occasions, it has happened even in elementary schools. Remember Sandy Hook in Connecticut? Where little boys and girls, no more than five, six, seven years old, were, were slaughtered. The places this has happened and the occurrences of it, absolutely shocking to any nation, at least with a conscience. You may notice that there's been a lot of discussion about how to, ha ha how to handle this and how to prevent it. And so legislation has been enacted. There's been a fair amount of discussion about do we increase the police presence on our school campuses. Others have argued, do we allow teachers to carry guns so that they would be better equipped, hopefully, to keep this at bay, arm our teachers? In fact, that's a very present under on, ongoing discussion even as we speak. Thirdly, there have been those who have cried for far stronger gun laws so that hopefully anything like this would not be likely to happen again. To that we might add, some have argued there needs to be basically metal detectors like you'd find at an airport so that everybody going into a school ought to, ought to have to go through one of these as well. On and on the discussion goes. I'd like to point out this, though, perhaps rather obviously. For all the discussion and all the legislation and all the consideration of the past 19 years, it hasn't stopped it. It has not stopped it. I'd like to offer this isn't going to be a political consideration today. That's for a different place and time. But what I would like to offer is at the bottom of that slide. All of these things are addressing only the symptoms of it. It's not addressing the ultimate problem. It's not addressing that because the ultimate problem is the heart. Doesn't the Bible teach us in Proverbs 4.23, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And don't we read in Proverbs 23, verse number 7, along the same line, encouraging all of us to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I'd suggest to you that this is much more apt to be viewed and seen in light of the following consideration. Maybe you and I have witnessed an event wherein an animal has been seriously injured, seriously damaged in some way, and that body is, the, is convulsing in light of the trauma that it has experienced. And perhaps death isn't that far away for, the, for, the, for that animal. These school shootings, it would appear to me, are merely the symptoms, the signs of a nation that's convulsing. The fiber that is us as a nation is twinging under the trauma because it's misdirected and misguided. Today, why don't we at least try to address some of that using the only infallible guide, the Bible, helping us appreciate that these school shootings perhaps can be considered like this. We know these aren't the only kinds of shootings. After all, there was one in Las Vegas. Remember, 60 people or so lost their lives there, and what a tragedy. But there's something that our youth are doing. They are choosing to do this kind of thing. I'd like to offer our youth are so impressionable. They're so influenced by things around them. What is it we're doing as a nation? that is, putting seeds of this behavior into their thinking. 
Let's look at a few of them this morning. Number one, one of the failures beneath which our nation is suffering, of course, surrounds the home. As you and I open the Word of God, we find in Genesis chapter 2, wherein God put in place the environment in which a child is to be raised. It's a father and a mother in a home. And yet you and I know that today, many, many of our young people are growing up in homes with one or both parents not there. They're growing up in places wherein that environment that offers discipline and that offers consideration and that offers proper guidance and instruction, it is nowhere to be found. And therefore, they're left to grow up on their own in the best way that perhaps they proceed. And so they're influenced in so many other ways without that guidance that God has said is ideal. And not only that, it's necessary. Look at some of these verses. In Genesis 1.28, can't you and I recall that on that occasion, after the creation of Adam and Eve, God said, be fruitful and multiply. Here was the environment wherein children were to, to be born, to be nurtured, and to grow. In Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And yet in our nation... Marriage has taken it on the chin time and time again. Isn't it a tragedy? Open up the current newspaper or look at billboards and guess what it'll tell you? $125, no-fault divorce. That shows how much we care about the covenant of marriage. No matter what the case, $125, children or not, get you a divorce. It just ought not be. God has embedded the appreciation that marriage is to be permanent. It is to last till death do us part. And in that regard, we appreciate, didn't Jesus say, what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder, Matthew 19, 6. We haven't learned the lesson very well. And so our children see in us as adults, they aren't very committed to marriage, and they aren't very committed to a lot of other things either. And they begin to have these seeds of, other things that we're going to describe in just a moment. As you look further down that slide, there is something to be said for that beautiful commitment that God has stated to be true concerning that blessed matter we call matrimony. You and I know that Jesus performed His first miracle while in attendance at a marriage feast in John chapter 2. And we know that in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 5, the apostles had the right to marry, to lead about a sister as a wife. And isn't it true that we appreciate one of the things that has been at least a contributing factor in the behavior and the choices of many, including school shootings, has been they have grown up in a place without a home that would be befitting of what God says they need. May you and I be thankful for godly homes. May we be committed to having one. To all of you perhaps that are looking one day to become married, choose you a godly spouse. Someone that will help you go to heaven, that you can help go to heaven, and that will journey along with you throughout the turmoils and the difficulties of this life, joined on that basis of that unchanging Word of God. May I say that when children are born to, into your household, see them as Psalm 127 encourages you to, 
Notice there that they are a pleasurable gift from God. That precious immortal soul that parents have the opportunity to shape and to instruct and to mold and to plant in them the appreciation for what will lead them to heaven. And it is with that in mind we close that slide. And notice that Rehoboam, at least in the Bible, may offer us some thought. What happens? You remember his dad was a man named Solomon. Solomon, as we saw last Sunday night, as we studied the Song of Solomon, had some issues and problems, and he had a lot of wives and a lot of concubines, and he didn't look upon them the way a man ought to look upon his wife. And yet, look at what kind of man Rehoboam turned out to be. A fool, an unwise, petty, selfish individual. Is that what some of these cool shooters are like? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Not only about the home, what else though is a contributing factor to this? May I suggest the basic consideration of respect. You and I know from time immemorial, God has invested in the human family a basic appreciation of respect. Recall with me the Ten Commandments, would you? The first four of them highlighted the nature of man's relationship to God. But what about the last six of them? You remember how they went. Honor thy father and thy mother. Commandment 5, you honor, you respect, you have a healthy consideration of fear with respect to them. But what's the next one? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. Every one of those last six of them relate to man's relationship with other human beings. And these are things you do not do. That was for ancient Israel. You and I know every one of those six is restated, reaffirmed, and redirected to you and me in the New Testament era as well. There is something to be said about respecting what someone else is. I may not agree with them, but I don't shoot them. I may not agree with them, but there ought to be enough innate appreciation to at least understand certain things are off limits. Certain things are not becoming behavior. Clearly, our nation has lost that appreciation. You may notice in addition to that, look at some of the other things so well presented to all of us as Bible-loving people. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Is there any way in which you can imagine loving someone would lead you to shoot them? Obviously not. And yet, that's what has happened 25 times in these major massacres since 1999. It might be fair to even say, again, the 25, that's not all of them. There's been a lot of more minor ones where guns were brought in schools, but nobody was killed. I'm just talking about the major massacres. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 7 verse 12, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, do ye even so unto them. For this is the law and the prophets, doing to others as you would wish that they would do to you. That kind of psyche is absent. It's missing and is evidenced in so many ways by these events. Let's move forward on that and note this. Isn't it true the Bible highlights also a basic appreciation of respect for authority? In the infinite wisdom of God, 
He has allowed and authorized authorities to exist in the home, in civil government, just to name two. And yet you and I know that authority is invested in many particulars of our society. A teacher has authority over his or her classroom. A policeman has authority by virtue of carrying out the law in the way that his jurisdiction will allow. You and I understand well there must be an appreciation for that authority and to understand that I am not permitted to run roughshod over the authorities. And yet, youngsters apparently have done this, at least in these instances. What did Jesus say in John 18 verses 31 to 33? Wasn't it true on that occasion? Here was the Son of God. All authority of the universe was at His disposal. And He submitted to Pilate. Jesus had power to overrun, if He'd wanted to, Pilate, but He knew that He needed to submit, and He did. Are you and I not that encouraged to be submissive to authorities? Aren't we told in Romans 13, 1, There is no power but of God. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. And yet, on all these instances, there has not only been disrespect, but blatant disrespect in light of the well-being of others. Now that kind of issue in authority and, res- and lack of respect for it leads me to close that slide like this. You'll notice that, of course, Jesus is a prime example. He was always submissive to the authorities. Not only that, He was submissive to the law of God. Does that lead us to point number three? What else have we done as our nation? We have systematically and summarily attempted to remove God as much as possible from what these youngsters are exposed to. We all know that. There was a time when, at least by and large, for example, in those courses related to science, it was the norm that at least the attribute of God's creative activity that you boys and girls are made in the image of God, God made you and you are answerable to Him. And now, by and large, it is against the law for a science teacher in school to say anything like that. Now, it is the preposition and the proposition that by some evolutionary mindless process you came about. If you instill that kind of nonsense in a youngster long enough, and you tell them they, made, they were made out of a blob and they're not answerable to any God... How long will it be before the seeds of that will germinate and they'll bring forth things that are recognized as evil? There's a great deal of difference between what general evolution would tell us versus what the Bible asserts. Now it is true on that slide. We as a society have made inroads, directly so, and even using legal matters to do it, to remove God from our schools. All that now seems to be done is someone just needs to offer some kind of a statement of opposition and the ACLU will be there immediately to file a lawsuit and to stop prayer or to stop some other feature or attribute that would in some way would relate to God. As I mentioned, it has come into our classrooms. Take a look sometimes at the science textbooks that your youngsters are asked, even forced to read. 
Look at how it talks about how they came about and look at the way in which it describes who they are and what they, in fact, have become. And see if you see any references to God, Creator, that they have a spirit, that they're going to answer to a day of judgment. Do you see anything like that? I think we all know the answers to this. It's no wonder then as you come near the close of that one, isn't it obvious then to say that kind of approach devalues life? Let's face it, if I evolved out of the ocean, out of the sea as a mindless blob, then that means that blob's not answerable to anybody or anything and I by some means have become what I am. And the only kind of limitations or testimonies must come simply and solely from the choices and purview of another. And so if I want to kill, well, who's to say I can't? If you take God out of the equation, what are you left with? What authority then is able to say this is absolutely wrong no matter what and no matter where? No wonder in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29, you notice in that passage as well as the Genesis 9 verses 4 and following, God speaks directly about what is to occur relative to someone who takes life. One who takes the life of another, his life is to be taken. Now in the Old Testament, that was the law. You and I realize today through those procedures of courts, that kind of thing still God authorizes to be done. Romans 13 verses 1 to 3. I would say point number four is this. If we're going to talk about devaluing life, what about hypocritical adults? I introduced that one in the following way. So you and I, it seems as though on the news we again are asked to consider the tragedy, the absolute statement of massacre that's occurring at these schools. And yet look at this number. On the very day at that Parkland school, that shooting in Florida, what about a month ago now? On that very day when, again, that number of individuals lost their lives, do you realize 2,600 innocent lives were lawfully killed in our country that day? 2,600. We as adults have legalized murder. It happened when the Supreme Court approved Roe versus Wade to approve abortion on demand in January of 1973. And since that time, millions have been slaughtered. And so we as adults happily go about taking life, and yet we tell our kids not to. Now, if that's not the height of, of hypocrisy, it's an absolute tragedy. Human life, we just noted earlier about its being devalued. Secular humanism is the overarching discussion in which all of these topics kind of fit. And that has become the norm of instruction, the norm of presentation in our land. Abortion, as you and I know, on demand is now legal. All you got to do is just go into one of these clinics and with no justification of any kind or sort, that is what now takes place. It is a sadness. It's a tragedy. It is a mark upon our nation. It's a statement about our psyche. All of these are signs of a convulsing nation. The fabric and the nervous center of our conscience is suffering. And these school shootings are just a sign of it. Let's close that slide by noting this. 
the Bible teaches overwhelmingly that life begins at conception. You can look at Jeremiah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 49. You can even use Jesus as an example of this. May I ask, when the babe was still in Mary's womb, what was it called? A babe. That same word was used to describe Jesus after He was born. He was still a babe. Isn't it true then that as you reflect on that, God says with respect to Jeremiah that God knew him even when he was in his mother's womb and what a great prophet he was going to be. God knew that babe and the kind of effort, the person, the work that he would do and be long before his mother gave birth to him. And yet we systematically snuff out life after life after life every day in our land. What are our youngsters to think? Clearly, from that perspective, life doesn't mean much. May I suggest to you as we close that slide, the Bible condemns murder, and that includes the murder of innocent babies. I still think it extremely ironic that at that school shooting at Sandy Hook, you saw pictures of these five- and six-year-old little boys and girls, and our nation was quick to say how awful that was. But turn back the clock five years and suddenly nobody would have cared because they'd have been an unborn baby. Then you could kill them all you wanted to. What sense does this make? Point is, it makes no sense. At this point, what about number five? There's another attribute in which, let me just offer this as a consideration. We understand so well that at least one of the things that is so often apparent in the livelihood of many people, more often youngsters, I suppose, are those things available that you and I call entertainment. Think about some of the video games that now are the norm of the day, in which you sit before a computer screen or perhaps a television, and your goal is to massacre and shoot and kill as many people as you can in a certain amount of time. Because of the failure in the other things we've studied, be it respect, be it the home, be it the absence of God, then if I can so quickly kill these here, that looks like that's a lot of fun. I wonder if I can do that for real. Now, I'm not a psychologist, and I'm not a psychiatrist, and so I don't know if that's especially what some have thought, but you can't help but wonder that they have no longer the capability of seeing what's only at best a game versus what's real. And that this person is really an immortal spirit that's going to answer to God, and so will I. And there's a difference in playing a game and trying to imagine taking this life that God says I mustn't do. And yet, we often see movies... There's the consideration of video games and other things of the entertainment industry that seemingly make light of this. Isn't it rather fascinating that you and I can note this? In Galatians 5 verse 19, would you notice the following listing? That listing is often known as the works of the flesh. And although it's a lengthy list, let me at least ask you to notice that God makes this statement. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these... Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. 
the point it seems worthy to note is this. God says certain things are wrong. Certain things are unacceptable. And certain things, verse 21 closes by saying this, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You won't go to heaven doing this. That association is clearly missing in the mind of many. That I can go into a school, take a few lives, and maybe what repercussions for me will be relatively little. And yet God says you won't go to heaven doing this. Again, obviously, unless you repent. Again, God says certain things are just wrong. What about we make one more statement? We understand very well that the evil that's promoted by the devil in this world, that evil that again is a byproduct of what he desires and wishes, and yet as those who love the Lord, we appreciate that though we live surrounded by these things, our mindset is wholly different. We are not of the world. John said it like this in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We must do a better job as a citizenry, as a nation, of instilling some of these matters in ourselves so that we, of course, will instill it in our youngsters as well. You'll notice number six. What about the legal system? Let me offer it too as a contributing factor to these events. Let me develop it like this if I might. One of the things that is to be noted about our legal system is the God of heaven has again authorized civil authorities to carry out sentence of judgment, sentence of punishment. And it's true, we have an extensive court system but in many cases, what follows thereafter is much, much too short. Evildoers, in some cases, are not punished at all. In other cases, what punishment is there seems to be so incredibly minor, and then they're soon released again. In Ecclesiastes 7.29, it says, When sentence is not speedily executed, you lose the power of it. And that's exactly what's happening. In Romans 13, 4, we need to appreciate that God has instilled that there ought to be fear from the authorities relative to the capability of carrying out the sentence of punishment. It would appear our youngsters aren't fearful of the authorities when it comes to these school shootings. They've done it. If they truly were fearful of what the authorities stood for and what was going to happen to them, it would be a different story. One by one, there's been a lot of contributing factors, hasn't there? And as you and I appreciate this, let's come near the close of our lesson by noting one more. And let me phrase it in terms of a conclusion. School shootings, signs of a convulsing nation. You can imagine the psyche of our nation as again it recoils or convulses under the trauma that's being experienced. The national psyche is far removed in many cases from Proverbs 14.34. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is of reproach to any people. 
Oh, how we need to appreciate the church and its standing as the thing that carries out the truth of God and makes the stamp of the presentation of God's truth. Aren't we told in 1 Timothy 3.15 that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth? We've got to stand strong based on the Word of God. And although we must, of course, realize these tragedies are about us, let's use these things we've studied today as an encouragement to ourselves. First, a godly home. There's no better place for a child to be raised. There's no better environment in which a child can be nurtured and to grow into a happy and productive citizen who appreciates what he or she should and who, in fact, interacts with others the way that he or she should. But secondly, a matter of demand in regard to respect. Not only, of course, at our youngsters, but even we who are adults. Do I illustrate to my children, my grandchildren, the reality of respect? Respectful of others, respectful authorities in terms of the way I behave toward them? Our children are watching us. Thirdly, oh, how we need God in our society. And I know the legal system is not on our side in many ways. But that doesn't stop us as parents grandparents, friends, associates, and others to instill in our youngsters the absolute nature that there is a God in heaven and He made you and you're answerable to Him. And His laws are the things that will lead to the happiest life here and the only life hereafter. Fourthly, hypocrisy. We highlighted abortion, I freely admit. But may we realize that life is to be valued, and human life is not animal life. As often as we've stated, humans are not animals. We can choose to live like one, but we weren't made that way. Humans are different. We are immortal spirits made in the image and likeness of God, Genesis 1.26. Nextly, as you and I think about what we utilize as recreation or entertainment, Let's be sure our youngsters see the difference between what's only fantasy and what's real. That they do understand that a video game is merely that. And even if that video game begins to implant behaviors in them that's not becoming, then we ought not to let them watch that video game or at least play it. Finally, as we contemplate perhaps our legal system, May we as a, parent, as a parent be mindful of discipline, helping to make sure that it's wholesome, appropriate, and productive. This lesson today hasn't been a happy one in many ways for any of us. But I did think it appropriate in the midst of all of these continued shootings, it seems, that we're faced with to remind ourselves that this book has the answer. It does, without a doubt. And as long as we and our nation would, of course, put into practice those things, these school shootings will stop. But as long as we continue to veer from the truth and to walk along a different pathway, this national conscience is likely to continue to recoil, to convulse, and we're going to continue to see these things that are so hurtful and damaging. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what all of us need. Are you a faithful Christian? Are you walking day by day in the blessed light of God's sunshine? Are you living faithfully, soberly, righteously, and godly in the words of Titus 2 verse 12? 
If you are, may you continue to walk that way until death. Because you realize that beyond that Jordan River Valley of death, you appreciate that there's a judgment coming and you'll be ready. But if you're not ready, if you have in fact begun to live in a way that's not pleasing to God, maybe you at one time were a faithful Christian, but you've begun to think in ways, to act in ways, to say things perhaps that you know aren't becoming of what you ought to be. If so, are you at least in an indirect way a contributing factor to some of the problems? May I say, come back to your first love. God loves you. He wants you back as a faithful servant of His. If you have never become a Christian, though, this time of invitation is also for you because Jesus invites you to come to Him. He's the only one that can offer you life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, He said, John 14, 6. And if you'd like to have your sins washed away today in baptism, we'd be delighted and honored to help you. You've got to believe Jesus with all of your heart to be the Son of God, John 8, 24. You've got to repent of your sins, Acts 2, 38. You've got to confess Him as the Son of God, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And you've got to be baptized for the remission of your sins. When you see the descriptions of Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, and what happens at that baptism, what a great, great event. If we could be of help to you today in either of these ways, we encourage you, we invite you, and Jesus implores you to come and to do it now while together we stand and while we sing.